Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey there, welcome to Loving Liberty. Thank you so much for making our broadcast or podcast a part of your day. I hope you are one of those sincere seekers of truth, because I'm going to try to make it as worth your while as possible in the next couple of hours. So I want to start with a couple of quick things here. Um, actually had a chance to attend a family gathering over the weekend, and I'll, I'll probably talk more about this in the second hour of the broadcast, but I got to tell you, that was that felt like the most subversive thing I have done in a long time. Why? Well, because uh, just between you and me and the wall, there was quite a bit of hugging going on there. Family members who hadn't seen each other for a long time. Yes, it was in a funeral setting, so there was that as well. But um, whatever risks were involved, I feel like they were probably considered and weighed and being family was a, was of greater importance than the fear of we're all going to die from COVID-19. So I'll talk more about that coming up in the next hour. I'm glad to see that some things are starting to uh, slowly swing back towards normal. And with that in mind, there's an event coming up this Saturday, May 16th, from noon to 3 p.m. at the state capitol in Salt Lake City. Now, I live in Utah, and if you are, you know, where, where it's reasonable for you to travel and, and, and join this, I hope that you'll do so. This is from the Utah Business Revival folks, Eric Mutsos, Darcy Van Orden, and others, who have had a couple of very, very successful rallies. I, and, you know, some would call them protests, but really, it's just people standing up and and taking charge of their lives, going back out there, having commerce with one another and and making things happen without waiting hat in hand for some politician to say, OK, I'll give you my grudging permission. So it's a it's been a wonderful experience. I've been to the last couple of events. Very well attended. Uh, very good, uplifting, empowering messages. And no, not a bunch of mindless anger, gun toting, irresponsible, rah, rah, rah. Just people wanting to get on with their lives. What makes this next event one that I would really encourage you to come and be a part of is the fact that it's going to be an interfaith spiritual revival. Now, if you're thinking, oh, great, one of those tent revivals, hellfire and damnation, I don't really think that's uh, what's in mind. This is an open invitation, they say, for persons of all beliefs to assemble and peacefully exercise their First Amendment rights, as well as helping Salt Lake City businesses. Now, I'm leading off with this today because I believe that our greatest resource in good times and in bad times is our creator. And so I am... I'm encouraging people wherever possible. If you are a person who believes in God, now is the time to humble ourselves, find time to get on our knees before the creator of this universe and seek his help. And I say that not to, because you're a sinner and you need to repent, but just because we all depend on him. And if you have had the, if you have had the experience of, of recognizing God's hand at work in your life, You'll probably understand this better than those for whom he's just kind of a distant, uh, mysterious figure that may or may not exist and probably hates us if he does. I don't know. I don't want to turn this into a church meeting. I just I just want to tell you that the the greatest realization in my life was not that God existed, but that he was present in the tiniest details of my life, meaning he personally knows me. He personally loves me 
as flawed and, and awful as I am or can be, his love has never wavered one bit. And if there is anything that can give us hope, it is not government. It is our creator. So I'm inviting you block off noon to 3 p.m. If you're in the, the northern Utah area, come to the state capitol in Salt Lake City this coming Saturday, May 16th. And join your your faith and your belief with that of other people who likewise are are not only eager to see us healed from this this disease that has so many people concerned, but to to see our our lives resume some degree of normality, the ability to interact with each other, to fellowship with each other, to conduct business with one another. And most importantly, to worship as we see fit. Instead of waiting for the government to allow us to go back to church or dictate what we have to do when we get there. All right. I've actually spent more time on this than I intended to, but I'm going to be talking about it through the week. Maybe I'll get a quick chat with Eric sometime this week and let him extend that invitation to you as well. Now, I have to warn you that uh, I, I'm going to be touching on a topic today that is uh, this is going to be painful truth. This this is going to sound pretty scary to some folks because because it kind of set me back in my chair going, wow, Eesh. it is hard to admit sometimes where we really are. And yet, if you if you want to progress, if you want to if you want to move in the right direction, there is no possible way for you to get where you want to go without first fixing where you actually are. And as a nation, we are not in a very good place. But the the big question or the big issue that I think very few people want to consider. We see the the difficulties of COVID-19. We've seen the suffering, the death, the the hardships that have come about that we believe are a result of this virus. But is COVID-19 really the cause of these difficulties or is it simply serving as a mask for an economic collapse that was destined to happen either with or without it? Now, that is a scary thought. But that's right where we're going to go. Bill Sardi has a remarkable article published on LewRockwell.com today. It will be linked in the show notes, and I strongly recommend take a look at it. It's hard truth. I totally get it. It's, it's not pleasant, and yet it's not just fear-mongering. It's not just doom and gloom and, oh, we're all going to die. You know, I told you so. It's some of the best analysis that I've seen, but it's from a slightly different angle than most people are focusing on right now. So... I'm not saying this is going to change your worldview, but it will definitely offer a little bit broader perspective because it's coming from a slightly different vantage point to help you get the the bigger picture of what's going on around us. And here's how Bill Sardi starts out. He says, brace yourself for what I have to reveal to you. The U.S. has been wearing a mask for a long time. And he says, what you will learn in this report is something politicians in the news media withheld from the public for decades. Government leaders were hiding the fact that they were buying your vote with borrowed money. And here he says, don't get caught up in the current political or COVID-19 theater. He says, the lady microbiologist who once worked in a government laboratory for Dr. Anthony Fauci and has a tell-all book about vaccines, brave as she is, is just a distraction. To drag out an old Clinton-era catchphrase, it's the economy, stupid Now, this hidden agenda to hide a a collapsed economy uh, is to hide a collapsed economy behind the fear of a lethal virus. The failed economy, the unprecedented unemployment are not due to the virus. 
Economist John Williams at ShadowStats.com has been reporting a 20%, a hidden 20% unemployment rate for the past few years now. Mr. Trump's MAGA was just putting a positive face on all this, hoping to keep America's spirits up. But this financial implosion has been a long time coming. It has remained hidden for so long, its eventual disclosure had to be a planned event. And these are some of the contradictions that lend credibility to what he's saying. He says, have you ever wondered why the U.S. is illogically battling a virus that kills fewer people than TB? Want to know why 1,300 major corporate U.S. CEOs took their payouts last year and resigned? Why does America have a man with Alzheimer's running for president? Why do our leaders tolerate Dr. Anthony Fauci putting American shop and restaurant owners out of business when neither they or any of their customers are at significant risk for COVID-19 coronavirus killing them ever? Do we lock down the population because some people die of the flu? His point is America is living with many contradictions. Now, this is going to lead some people to ask, but aren't we the greatest country in human history? Don't we have the highest gross domestic product of any country by a wide margin? Well, actually, a declining GDP is yet another fact hidden from the public's view. And so Bill Sardi says there has to be something government isn't telling us. Yes, and it actually hasn't been telling us for a few decades. Now, he says, I have to soften the answers to these questions because it is too harsh a reality. It's because the contrived fear of death from the virus is being used to distract Americans from a more dire reality. 30 million jobs have been lost due to the plundering of the American economy by the financial classes and politicians. Americans have been extended credit until there is no way to ever pay it back. For years now, the U.S. has had 20% unemployment, but the Bureau of Labor Standards has kept that hidden. Authorities are covertly attempting to keep 30 million unemployed Americans indoors and off the streets for good reason. When they find out they have lost their jobs for good, the masses may think of lighting matches in protest. The issuance of $1,200 checks and payments to keep workers employed is just a temporary appeasement. Like I said, this is this is not sugar-coated in any way, shape, or form. If you uh, need to take your heart medication, now's a good time to do it. We've got to take a quick break. We'll come back with more of Bill Sardi's article. This is Loving Liberty. Hey, once again, welcome back. This is Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Again, if this is uh, if this is proving to be a little bit intense, I totally understand. I'm sharing with you an article by Bill Sardi. How did the greatest country in the world get to this point? And the gist of the article, if you hadn't caught it yet, is that, uh, look, the COVID-19 virus, scary as that may be, is simply a mask to cover an economic collapse that has been in the works and and that people have seen coming and have been talking about for decades. Look, it was clear a long time ago, the amount of spending, the amount of borrowing, the uh, debasement of our currency and quantitative easing that, that causes inflation to go up. This has been on a lot of people's radar screen for many, many years, and the warnings have been sounding for many, many years. 
But now we have this virus and this pandemic and all the shutdowns and public health emergencies and so forth, which provide very good cover for the political class as well as the financial class to, you know, say, well, you know, it's not our fault. This is obviously this is part of the, uh, the virus and what it's doing. Not so. Not so. And so we are living under a bunch of contradictions. And coming back to Bill Sardi's article, he asks about the, the prospect. Why are National Guard troops on standby? And the answer in part is because all wealth has been destroyed. Now, we're still in the early stages of this destruction. And so the people who've been furloughed or who have been unemployed, yeah, they're feeling the pinch. We're a couple months in now. But the desperation really hasn't set in. And Bill Sardi says National Guard troops have been at the ready to occupy financially distressed cities to maintain order not maintain social distancing in municipalities with the highest COVID-19 deaths or infections. And the success of our overlords now depends on how long can they keep this hidden under the rug. Otherwise, possible insurrection. Keep the masses indoors. That way, public protest won't erupt into riots. And then there's the threat of forced vaccination now gripping millions. Some fear the vaccine more than the virus. Who knows how many suicides will occur among those who refuse to submit to vaccination? Americans are now forced to be compliant or else. Yes, the virus is real. The number of deaths is phony and the the economy has imploded. And Bill Sardi says that actually happened years ago, frankly. Now, he says, yes, Americans are dying. Blacks are being called off first and then the aged in nursing homes. The, the virus, he says, is selectively killing off whomever is costing government the most money. Health care will have to be almost completely replaced by self-care. Entertainment will be comprised of playing table games like Monopoly and piecing together puzzles like lockdown Americans are now doing. Business air travel and vacation travel are over. Zoom and Skype will replace business travel. And he says this is the new reality. About a 50% standard or 50% decline rather in our standard of living. And he says, I'm sorry, I had to tell you, there will be no return to normal. There will be no reset. Disillusioned college graduates will have no careers. Do you understand? <clears throat> now, he says, you don't see that money man, real estate developer, master negotiator, negotiator Donald Trump has been brought in to do the dirty work. Would you like to be running the country where 30 million Americans aren't paying their taxes because they don't have jobs? How do you balance the U.S. budget? You don't. You just order the U.S. Treasury Department to print money and for the Federal Reserve to distribute near free dollars to the financial classes. But what about the guy who just lost his job and can't pay his mortgage? The mortgage banks just got paid. Why weren't mortgage balances written down? Now, the answer here as to why this is happening, and I don't disagree with Bill Sardi on this, Government has been America's false god for too long. The two political parties are rust. Congress is feckless in heated deadlocks. There's only one man to face up to these realities, Donald Trump. And the nation's news press wants to force him to resign or be impeached or lose the election. The U.S. is a rudderless country without him. Now, he says, I'm not an apologist for Trump. It's just who do you have as an alternative? Maybe somebody who has a heart for the poor? Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you don't still want Hillary back, do you? Michelle Obama as commander-in-chief, she wouldn't even know how to read a company financial report. 
America is $16 trillion in debt. Well, how about Oprah? She's got a lot of money, and America would have her first woman president. There are a lot of Americans who are completely misled. But Bill Sardi asks, would any presidential candidate have any idea how to avert Medicare becoming insolvent, an event that looms ahead? It was scheduled to go bust in 2026, but now that FICA deductions are coming, that no FICA deductions, rather, are coming from 30 million unemployed workers, that date has to be moved up. And to make things worse, COVID-19 is costing billions. Well, what about the return of Barack? The only people left who can afford health care would be those on Obamacare. Now, he posts a chart here. You have to go to the link to see this chart. And it's it tells a tale that uh, we've touched on here before. The chart is aggregate jobs lost by industry. And I mean, we're talking in the millions, but it charts who's feeling the pain. Who's lost the most jobs? I can tell you, leisure and hospitality by far has lost the most jobs. Trade, transportation and utilities is next. Education and health services is in third place. The only entity on this list that has lost no jobs is the federal government. Huh. State government has lost some. Local government has lost some. Federal government, no pain. Government feels no pain. The federal government expands by virtue of everything else in contraction. You have to see the chart, though, to truly understand it. And the attitude of politicians is is that Americans can't deal with economic realities. So these politicians just keep buying votes with false promises. And Bill Sardi says the country's been papering over the real GDP, unemployment, inflation, and debt numbers for a long time. The news press has been an accomplice to this crime. So here's some sobering language used to explain the predicament America is in. The U.S. government's fiscal ills have spun wildly out of control and no longer are containable within the existing system. The actual annual shortfall in U.S. government operations for this fiscal year, September 30th, was $3.7 trillion. Put in perspective, that means if the U.S. Treasury had seized all wages and salaries with a 100% income tax, there still would have been a deficit. The outlook for fiscal year numbers is even worse. Considering that the popularly reported budget deficit was $374 billion, rather, one-tenth of the numbers cited above, this installment on government reporting concentrates on where the incredulous $3.7 trillion number comes from, how and why the Treasury is reporting it, and why the financial press and federal politicians are ignoring it. As brief background, the $3.7 trillion number is from government financial statements prepared using generally accepted accounting principles, and a large portion of the expanded deficit is from the annual increase in the net present value of unfunded Social Security and Medicare obligations. Now, the impossibility of this circumstance working out happily is why a lame duck Federal Reserve chairman suddenly urged politicians in Washington to come clean on not being able to deliver promised Social Security and Medicare benefits already under obligation. He suggests correctly that there is no chance of economic or productivity growth resolving the matter. Even if the administration and Congress heeded the Federal Reserve Chairman's advice, the unfolding fiscal disaster faces one of only two very unpleasant general solutions. First is draconian spending cuts, particularly in Social Security and Medicare, even if accompanied by massive tax increases. But that appears to be a political impossibility at present. 
In the absence of political action, the second solution is the U.S. government facing some form of insolvency in the next decade or so. Shy of Uncle Sam defaulting on debt, the most likely outcome is the Fed eventually having to monetize U.S. debt heavily, triggering hyperinflation. U.S. obligations would eventually be paid off in a significantly debased and devalued dollar. Now, there's more to this, but I'll let you pick it up yourself. This was written by economist John Williams back in 2004. So the idea, though, who could have seen this coming? The answer is there were plenty of people. The bigger question now, why was no one listening? We'll be back after these messages. Once again, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde, sharing with you a commentary from Bill Sardi, which may be one of the boldest and bluntest commentaries that I think I've ever shared on this program, simply because it addresses something that I think very few of us really want to consider. And yet there is a ring of truth to this that I believe makes it, uh, it worth considering. Whether you adapt this or adopt this as, as truth and, you know, you uh, change your worldview accordingly, that is totally up to you. But the idea is that the COVID-19 crisis is not the cause of all the economic mayhem that is taking place. It's merely a mask for it. And this is something that apparently has been foreseen for a long time. Before we went to break, I was sharing with you some thoughts from economist John Williams written back in 2004 about how misleading accounting used by the U.S. government, both in financial and economic reporting, far exceeds the scope of corporate accounting wrongdoing that's received partial credit for stock market turbulence. Pretty crazy stuff. And yet no one no one should be able to say, well, nobody ever told us, and why weren't we warned? We were warned. We just didn't want to hear it. And Bill Sardi says, look, guaranteed income? You hear politicians talking about that? He says, after reading this, you have to believe its advocates are completely out of touch with reality. Ditto for Mr. Trump's Space Force and landing astronauts on the moon. Back away from fossil fuels in a Green New Deal, he asks. America's going to have trouble just seeing its unemployed citizen, unemployed citizens rather, have enough money to buy gasoline to drive to work when they find a job. Remember, Americans are now burning roughly 2.5 million less barrels of petroleum per day during the lockdown. Nobody would call that progress. So when it comes to a dollar implosion, he says, were the doomsdayers just blowing smoke? He says, I rightfully had readers take me to task when I predicted in 2012 a day of financial collapse was at hand. Readers wrote to me to say they'd bought their gold and stored some food and it never happened. And that's because it was papered over by the government and never reported by news media. It happened and was ongoing, but just not reported. And he's he's pleading with us, don't let them do that by distraction with a virus this time. The virus is a mask for a collapsed economy. And by the way, he says, the irony of this is while I was preparing for this day of infamy, infamy rather, I was blindsided by a wife who walked out, divorced, took all the golden cash and his son, and then had the gall to call him a wacko conspiracy theorist to the judge in family court. Now all these conspiracy theories have come to light. He says, I've had to spend $350,000 on legal fees just to stay out of jail over false allegations of contempt of court and dismissal of restraining orders in numerous attempts to gain meaningful visitation with his son. 
apparently prisoners get more time with their kids than he presently does. So he says efforts to prepare for a financial meltdown were vanquished, at least in his case. And the lesson is watch your backside. He says the most powerful enemies are those from within. The day of reckoning, he says, has finally come. Now, see if you can dodge that vaccine needle. It's kind of a sobering thought, don't you think? Look, I don't know what the future is going to hold. I, I have a friend, I've, I've mentioned this before on the show, I have a friend who works in healthcare who has sat through so many conference calls in the last couple of months as he has, has been uh, working within his company. He is at the point right now where he's like, I don't know if I can do this. I feel like I am selling my soul to even be a part of this system. And it's, look, it's, it's, not, because, uh, it's not because he's a virus denier. But he says he sees what can only be called medical tyranny on the horizon. And it was well over a month ago that he wrote to me and said, you mark my words. You are going to see the day when people will be dragged from their homes screaming. I don't have any symptoms. I feel fine by covid virus response teams. Have you heard about uh, the the legislation? I think it's House House Bill six, 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 six. That's exactly the kind of stuff it's talking about. Look, I don't I don't want to perpetuate fear. I want to perpetuate awareness. And and rather than telling you, you should be very, very frightened right now. I would prefer that you instead be very, very aware of what's going on and don't allow fear to blind you to uh, the, the realities of there are people trying to take advantage of this situation. Now, my friend said, if, if you see this come, he goes, you remember, I warned you this was coming. Contact tracing sounds like, well, but we've got to keep track of, you know, who's been in contact with whom and how, how this disease spreads. It sounds good on the surface, but you've got to be willing to look a little bit further and ask, and how exactly do they intend to keep track of people? Because it sure sounds a whole lot like the Fourth Amendment's about to be thrown right into a wood chipper. And what about these response teams? I've heard it talked about, at least on the state level in California and maybe even in New York. Are we okay with people if they have been diagnosed or confirmed that, yes, you tested positive for COVID-19? Are we okay with it? Okay with them being forcibly, if necessary, taken from their homes and isolated, medically quarantined? I'm not feeling so good about that. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm saying that from the standpoint of, you know, what do you do? What about vaccinations? If if there's an insistence, everybody must be vaccinated. And your ability to operate as a citizen is dependent upon you showing that certificate of vaccination. Kind of like your kids being enrolled in public school. Remember, you got to show all the vaccinations are up to date. Otherwise, they can't come in. What if you can become an unperson simply because you say, I don't want the vaccine? And by the way, I'm, I'm not trying to have the debate that, uh, you know, the vaccine is good or the vaccine is bad. It's the idea that it has to be forced upon you, that it must be mandated at the point of a gun or a bayonet. That's the part that makes me go, whoa, hold on a second there, Skipper. Are we sure this is such a good idea when we have to use threat of force to get people to do it? Because in my experience, most of the really good ideas... People can be persuaded to embrace. But it sounds like instead we're, we're being stampeded. Someone's firing a gun in the air and shouting, yeah, yeah, trying to get the herd running in a particular direction. 
I don't like the idea of someone showing up at my doorstep and saying, you will be vaccinated or else. Because or else is kind of an open-ended question there. And I don't think that everybody is going to just say, okay, you got me. Here I come. You know, I'll do whatever you want. I don't know what the solution is other than to be as self-reliant as you can. To do what you can to improve your situation. Uh, I understand not everybody has the option right now, especially if your job or your business has been shut down or lost due to the official response here. But I know that people who understand what their rights are, who are willing to claim them, use them and defend them, are going to be the ones who will likely come through with some modicum of freedom on the other side of this thing. This crisis is not going to last forever. The consequences may last a lot longer term than the actual virus itself. And that is a cause of concern for me. But there's a lot that we can and should be doing to better stand on our own feet. Eliminating debt, something we should have been doing all along. By the way, I'm as guilty of this as anybody. Putting it off, well, okay, we got serious about it a few months ago. People who are out of debt are going to definitely have an easier time than those who aren't. People who have saved for a rainy day. Although even that's not guaranteed. I mean, look at what happened to people's retirement portfolios with the the last big market crash. And I don't think it's done by a long shot. What does that leave us? Well, I have a good friend who says that leaves us with tangible things, things that we can actually put our hands on. Money only being a part of that. Tools, skills, um, land that you can grow things on. That's the kind of thing I would be looking at. Have a good friend who uh, just, uh, I don't know if he dug up his backyard or just went ahead and let the grass go the way of nature, but uh, he has a very sizable backyard, and he posted a picture this last week of many square foot or, or uh, raised bed gardens being put in his backyard, and I'm talking, there, there may be a couple dozen of them. It's like a little mini farm, and I think that may be one of the smartest things I have seen anybody do. Not everybody's in a position to do so, but if you can grow your own food, this is the time to start working on that green thumb. And I'm going to go back to something that I touched on at the very beginning of the program as well. The, all the physical preparations are good. You know, it's, it's nice to know, okay, we can meet my family's needs. We're going to be able to feed ourselves. Our standard of living may be declining somewhat, but I am of the opinion that if you are not spiritually prepared... If you don't have some spiritual resilience, and by that I mean a a connection with God that can get you through tough, even painful times, this is the time to get get that worked out and, and shore up that relationship. God is the only thing I know that we can count on when everything else is falling apart around us. It starts with a little humility, but find the time to humble yourself, get on your knees, and I promise you the help will be there. This is Loving Liberty. We'll be right back. (music) 
Once again, we are back. This is Loving Liberty. Thank you so much for being a part of our broadcast today. I feel like I should apologize just because I know I have been laying some really heavy stuff on you this hour. Um, I wish it were otherwise. Look, I would love to be talking about fun, frivolous, and, you know, lightly consequential topics that, you know, we all just sit around and have a good laugh about. That's not what is needed today. What we need to do today is face some hard truths and, and make some very serious decisions about how do we proceed individually from this point forward. I think the difficulty level has been dialed up, but for most of us, we really haven't noticed that, you know, the treadmill is running a little bit faster. We're not, we're not out of breath yet. We're not starting to stumble. I don't think that moment is far off, though. And so as much as possible, I want to give you encouragement. We can do this. We are a problem-solving people. We are the kind of people who can overcome even, uh, you know, unthinkable odds. That's part of our heritage. But I believe that uh, we, we have to first see things clearly and independently, and, and we can't be locked into the, the uh, narrative, the storytelling that, uh, well, you know, the most dangerous thing in the world is catching COVID virus, and everything else is a secondary consideration. I mean, if that was the case, why don't we just all just hunker down and stay home until nothing bad ever happens again? And of course, you know the answer to that question. There's never going to be a time when it will be perfectly safe. Never. Because that's not the nature of life. And if it isn't coronavirus, it'll be something else that'll be an excuse for why we have to hunker down and and do what someone in authority is telling us or some expert is urging us to do. Be very careful before you hand over another atom of your sovereignty and your self-determination. Now, this brings us to the topic of charity. Right now, there are a lot of people who are hurting, and this, is, this number is going to grow immensely in the days ahead. There's a great article by Anthony Gill on the American Institute for Economic Research website. Local charity is the best charity in time of COVID-19. He says, as the world becomes mired in the COVID-19 pandemic, efforts to raise charitable funds are out in hurricane force. Nary an hour goes by when our eyes and ears aren't bombarded by some plea to help the victims of the pandemic or the frontline responders. Musicians are performing online concerts with websites established to send financial contributions. The National Football League's annual draft included never-ending pleas to donate to their draft-a-thon. And the cast of Parks and Recreation reunited to prompt folks into giving for a good cause. No doubt other out-of-work Hollywood types will follow in short order. But he asks, is large-scale fundraising the proper response right now? Will another star-studded fundathon asking you to send money to a central clearinghouse bring about salvation? Or will it merely add to the immense deadweight costs our economy has been forced into experiencing? Anthony Gill says, while charitable giving is a vital, vital component for a strong civil society, large-scale fundraising is the wrong response during this time of national coronavirus crisis. In fact, he says, these national and international fundathons may be doing more harm than good. Charity drives, he says, are an indication of our better angels. That's because they demonstrate our willingness to care for others in times of unpredictable need. Civil society efforts to ameliorate trauma and suffering are frequently preferable to government welfare assistance, as the former generally directs more resources to recipients and minimizes the bureaucratic cost of administration. But he asks, what should the scope of private aid be? And here's where it gets interesting. He says, when crises are localized, an appeal to a broader community often makes sense. 
individuals within a devastated locale will not have sufficient resources to rescue and rebuild. And people in unaffected areas can divert their excess resources to assistance. Within a nation that is built upon social trust, reciprocity in assistance is often expected. The Californians who send aid to the Gulf Coast after a hurricane should expect that Floridians will respond in kind when the big one hits Los Angeles. This is a civil society insurance system that works only when some, when only some in society are affected. Now, he says giving to a national charity like the United Way also makes sense when tragedies are localized. Anthony Gill says, as a resident of Seattle, I know little of what citizens in Nebraska might need following a major flood. But a national institution that's devoted to responding to such emergencies can direct my caring impulse and cash into the proper resources tailored to the disaster. In this scenario, a general telethon raising cash would suggest itself as appropriate. However, he says the current coronavirus pandemic is very different. The disaster, more or less, is everywhere. And it's happening to everyone right now. It's as if the entire planet has become Tornado Alley and the Twisters all struck at once. Moreover, the disaster is not merely limited to some natural cause, the virus itself, but the supposed cure. The lockdown imposed by all levels of government has generated unprecedented economic pain. Under such conditions, he says efforts to raise charitable funds nationally make little sense. Money that I send to a Hollywood-based fundraiser in Los Angeles will merely be redistributed back to people in my local community. The added step of aggregating resources in a general clearinghouse will result in some of those resources being diverted to administrative and other transaction costs. Administrators of those national charities will need to be compensated. Workers in their charitable supply chain will also receive a cut of what I send. Yes, the intentions are good, but he says the inefficiencies or the efficiencies, rather, are bad. So realize that if you're in a position to send resources to the NFL's charity, you're also capable of reaching out to someone down the street who needs assistance. And given that this pandemic is local to everyone, you will have unique knowledge about who is most in need in your neighborhood and what assistance is best suited for the circumstances. Now, this is particularly true with overcoming the serious economic costs that draconian shutdowns have imposed. The local pizza restaurateur who's used to seating a full house on most weekends is only doing a small fraction of his normal business with takeout orders. The staff that he employed is laboring under reduced hours or maybe laid off altogether. So the $200 you might send to Elton John's preferred organization could go to buying meals or rent for these furloughed workers or helping out with child care for hospital workers who are working extended hours. He says the economic victims of COVID-19 should not be overlooked. While those suffering directly with the disease are hurting, we have devoted a great deal of medical resources to assist them. Businesses and employees are feeling the greatest side effects from our attempted social cure. Now, granted, unemployment assurance, the CARES Act passed by Congress, and various other state efforts have tried to ameliorate the losses. But he says the bureaucratic costs and uncertainty of receiving aid cannot make up for the devastation of livelihoods that will invariably result in the coming weeks and months. Work does not just deliver a paycheck. It delivers self-worth. And the loss of one's esteem and purpose may just be the greatest damage to come from this pandemic. So Anthony Gill says, if you feel compelled to help others, leverage your local knowledge. Understand that the free market historically has been one of the greatest deliverers of social welfare in human history. 
use what you have to return the economy to its pre-COVID state of affairs by finding ways to make the trades you did before. And if that's not possible, charitably assist those who you did have ongoing relationships with. The, barter, the bartender, the barber, the fitness instructor. Preserve the exchange networks as much as possible. Your charitable efforts will be remembered and rewarded. That seems like pretty sound advice. I want to go back to, to something he was talking about here, and that is the loss of a person's esteem and purpose may be the greatest damage to come from this pandemic. Now, I'm not a statistician, so I I can't tell you with authority. I know that this is a correct number, but I have seen enough articles and enough enough people citing these numbers. I think that they are probably accurate. Now, a statistician may disagree, but uh, the numbers that I have heard is that for every percentage point that the unemployment rate goes up, you're talking about roughly 35,000 deaths that will occur due to that unemployment And I believe that a large percentage of this is people who either commit suicide or drink themselves into poor health or take drugs and diminish their health. But they they significantly shorten their lifespan due to the despair. Now, that's a really sobering thought. And and the crazy thing about it is it's not just, yeah, well, all those bums down on Skid Row, of course, you know, what do they have to live for? I think it's actually, I think those guys have less, less of a distance to fall than the rest of us. It's the people who have been living comfortable, productive lives up until now who suddenly find themselves cut off. No income, no way of pulling their own weight. I mean, look, I can remember my dad was unemployed for about a five-year period following uh, his first bout with cancer. I remember how mentally that was a challenge for him. He was not himself during that time, and I believe it was because it was directly tied to his self-worth. Now magnify that on a much, much larger scale. 30 million people out of work. We've got to be very conscious of one another and willing to lift and encourage one another. Resist the urge to get in that uh, mean comment, if you will. Find the words that build, and let's use those freely. This is Loving Liberty.